Okay, so um, how about we all uh, turn to, I don't know what page it's on, we're on message one, page 14, message one, page 14. Let's go ahead and find that and find your title um, right under the, the thing that says message one. Let's read the title all together, ready, set, go. Okay, let's read it one more time, go. Okay, so uh, this is actually straight out of the Bible, this title. Uh, you want to write this down. If you got your pen, get your pen out. This title is out of, it's actually a direct quotation of Hosea. I don't know the last time you read the book of Hosea. But it's a book in the Minor Prophets. Hosea 11.1. 1, out of Egypt I called my son. And then the next part says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Israel was a child, I loved him. So this, this, I, I chose this for the title tonight because this shows you God's view of his people. We're the sons of God, and God has a desire for his sons, motivated by his love, his eternal love. We looked at that verse if you're in the Bible studies. Who's in our Bible studies? Raise your hand. Nice. So we had that verse in Jeremiah. I can't remember what it is, 31, 1 or 2, I think it is. Um, I've loved my people with an eternal love. And based on God's love for us, he has a great desire for us. A great desire for us. And he has a desire for where we are. Position means a lot in the Christian life. Where you are makes or breaks your Christian life. Where you are. For instance, uh, in America, um, presidential debates are going on. And something that people are always talking about in presidential debates is immigration. And... um, it's, it's our law that if you're born in America, you are an American citizen. You have all the rights, you have all the uh, benefits, all the privileges. So a lot of people every year try and get in this country because they know realm means a lot. Realm means a lot. Where you are, where you exist, totally determines your life. And what we're going to be looking at tonight is God's people need a radical, a fundamental, a revolutionary change in realms. And God's purpose only can be accomplished in one realm. Of course, this is symbolically in the Old Testament. But for us, we need to get out of one realm, and we need to get into another realm. So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. We're going to be looking at um, our Christian journey consummating in God's building. And the beginning of our Christian journey is an exit. Let's all say that. Exit. You know what the book of Exodus means? Go out. It literally means exit. There's a book in the Bible titled Exit. Isn't that crazy? I mean, the sign that's above every door, that is a book in the Bible. So next time you walk out an exit door, remember, Lord, I need to get out of one realm. I need to get out of the world. I need an exodus. That is the name of the book of the Bible. It's crazy to me. Crazy to me. There's a book of the Bible telling us what we need to do for God's purpose. That is have an exodus out of one realm into another. Let's go ahead and read um, that first bold point, seeing that we're on a journey. Ready, set, go. Okay, so um, then let's go ahead and read the uh, point under that. Ready, set, go. Okay, so pretty striking statement here, pretty striking statement. The most important thing in the Christian life, if any sentence starts with that phrase, the most important thing in the Christian life, you think you should pay attention or not? 
Probably so, right? Probably so. So the most important thing in the Christian life is to seek out the journey that God has ordained and faithfully walk on it. What this means is that God has a journey for each one of us. And I hope this weekend, um, the sharing isn't just a commentary on the book of Exodus. We're not just interpreting the book of Exodus. We're showing you the book of Exodus in light of this word journey. If you don't realize your Christian life is a journey, then you don't realize a few things. Because a journey involves something. You know, if I'm going to go, you know, I live right by HEB. Literally, I could throw like a baseball and hit it. Like, no joke. It's right there. Probably less than a five-minute walk. So do you think I would say I'm going on a journey if I walk to HEB and get my groceries? I mean, that would be overstating my case a little bit. I mean, it would be a little dramatic, you know. Probably had a long day if I said I went to a journey, went on a journey, went to HEB. What do we imply when we say journey? Ty, what, do, what, do, what normally involves the concept of journey? A long adventure, I like that. That's going to be in, in, in this. Who else got something to add? A lifetime, yeah. Takes, exactly, a lifetime. Hudson? Prepare. That's a word I'm going to bring up too. Anybody ever hear journey? What do you think of when you hear the word journey? Adventure, yeah, yeah. Destination, that's going to be another big word. Many battles, that's going to be another big word. Okay, good, good, good. This is what I came up for journey. You don't have to write this definition down. This is just Kyle's definition of journey for tonight. So it's unauthorized, but uh, I, I think it makes sense. So this is what I got. A journey is the process of traveling a considerable distance, Ty, considerable distance, on a difficult course, battles, to a particular destination, Carl. So let me give you that again. A journey is the process, the process of traveling a considerable distance on a difficult course to a particular destination. Um, we got distance, course, and destination. Distance, course, destination. And hopefully what y'all see this weekend is that there is a course. Each message is going to show you stages on the course. And if you're missing these stages, you're not on the right journey or you haven't begun the journey, or you've gotten off the course. And this, these courses, these stages, are going to lead you to a particular destination. The problem with the children of Israel in the book of in, in Exodus in the Old Testament, um, Numbers, you know, Joshua, was they wandered. They wandered. And if you look at the distance, um, there's actually a verse in Deuteronomy. I didn't put this on your page. It tells you how long it should have taken them uh, to travel from Egypt to the good land. Anybody want to have a guess? First off, anybody know how long it took them? They got out of Egypt, 40 years. Think about a 40-year journey. That's a long time. Does anybody know how long it should have taken them? There's a verse that tells you this. The distance from here to here is, any guesses? 20 years, 10 years, one year? Two months? Anybody else? Two weeks? Anybody else? Eleven days. Eleven days. Eleven days. You can look it up. I, I don't got the reference, but I promise you it's in the Bible. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. It tells you the distance from this city in Egypt to this city in the good land is eleven days. What's the point? The point is 
what should take us a certain amount of time in our Christian life often takes us way longer than it should because we got off course, we don't have the right provisions, we're not at the right stages, we're not equipped. Um, So hopefully this weekend will help you speed up your Christian journey. Can I get an amen? amen? It's okay to say amen if something touches you. We are trying to help you and speed up your journey so that you don't spend your whole life wandering, looking for what God has for you, and dying short of it, dying short of it. So three things you're going to need, and these are all going to come out this weekend. Three P words. Easy to remember. My outline has four S words, and I'm about to give you three P words. S words are seeing, saved, strengthened, and separated. That's the bold points. You don't got to write that down. It's already written down on your outline. Seeing, saved, strengthened, separated. That's, that's the four points. Now I'm going to give you three P words. Write these down. This is what you need on your journey. Preparation, provision, perseverance. Preparation. Tonight's going to be preparation. I'm going to show you how to get prepared for this journey. Tomorrow, Chris is going to share about provision. What are the provisions? Actually, tonight we're already going to give you some provisions. And then the last night, we're going to talk about uh, what, what is the goal? What do we need to do to reach the goal of perseverance? Perseverance. Pr- preparation, provision, perseverance. Okay. Um, okay, I'm trying to think about how much I want to go into depth here. Okay, let's go ahead and read these, this next verse. Exodus 3, 17 through 18. Let's... Uh, have uh, the guys on 17, the girls on 18. Guys, ready, set, go. I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey. Sisters, go. Okay, so in these two verses, you have all three stages, all three stations, major stations on the journey. So in 17, circle the word Egypt. Right after that, circle the word land. And then two lines directly below that, circle the word wilderness. So they're uh, all right there in these two verses. Egypt is stage one. The good land is the destination. And the wilderness is the second stage. And then right before that, you have where we get the title, part of the title of this whole um, weekend series, a three days journey, a journey. We're on a journey into the wilderness. Of course, it took a lot longer than three days, but the first three days was the first stage of the journey. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Okay, then um, I'll read to you Hebrews 4.1. This is the danger with the journey. Let us fear, therefore, lest a promise being left of entering into his rest any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Any one of you may have seem to come short of it. So the biggest danger for us Christians is to come short of God's destination. Wouldn't that be horrible? You finish your life and you realize, I'm short. I didn't reach the end. I didn't reach the end. So again, tonight, this is just putting this in context. We're on a journey. We need to get prepared. We need to get our provisions. We need perseverance. We need to see that we're on a journey. We need to see what God's destination is so that we can speed up and reach God's destination for us. Okay, so this is going to bring us right into tonight with um, the next point. Let's uh, all read this next point together. Ready, set, go. All right, let's read that one more time. 
Step one is the blood. Step one is the blood. The blood of Jesus solves all of your problems. All of your problems are met by the blood. The blood covers us. And in the picture there, this is the night of the Passover. And God told them um, the, the death angel is going to come and he's going to strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. And it says, from the firstborn in the king's palace to the firstborn of the guy in the dungeon. It says that. From the king's palace to the guy in the dungeon, the firstborn's out. And guess what? In God's eyes, that's us. We're under God's judgment. And first stage in getting out and getting on our course to God's destination is being saved by the blood. Saved by the blood. So um, what God told them to do was uh, everybody get into a house and take the blood of a lamb and put it on the doorpost and the lintel. Put on the doorpost and the lintel. And he says, and we're going to look at this in this verse, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. You know what God wants to see? The blood. The blood. So God's, the blood of God's son, Jesus, satisfies all of God's righteous requirements. It, it brings you out of God's judgment. It releases you from your sins. We're going to see it shuts the enemy's mouth. It gives us boldness in our Christian life. So the day one of our Christian life, we begin with the blood. And guess what? Every day after that, we begin with the blood. We never outgrow our need for the blood. We never graduate from needing to apply the blood. So it's, it, and we're going to see this. Actually, every stage in the Christian life continues with us. So don't think, well, I, I applied the blood 20 years ago. I got saved. I don't need that anymore. No, you need the blood every day, every moment. And the more you grow in Christ, the more the Lord shines on you, the more you're going to realize every day we need to begin the same way we began day one of our journey, which is applying the blood of Jesus. Amen. So let's have uh, all the guys read these next um, two verses in Exodus 12. It says 13 through 22, but it's just actually 13 and 22. All right, guys, ready, set, go. Okay, so here again it says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So the blood of Jesus, symbolized here by the blood of the lamb, um, it satisfies God. And now the interesting thing is, when God um, passed over all the houses, what he did not do, what he did not do was look inside the house. He didn't pull back the curtain on the window and see who was inside. Good news or bad news? Great news. That means our behavior, our current condition, our current struggles, our uh, desperate realization of our condition before God, that's not what God's looking for. He's looking to see the blood. And so Romans 3, 25, it's not on your sheet, but it says, it has this awesome phrase, faith in his blood. Faith in his blood. When you're at your lowest low, you know what you need? Faith in his blood. The blood gives you the boldness to go on in your Christian journey. The, the, the main problem with sin 
The main problem with sin in light of our Christian journey, Hebrews 12.1 talks about that. Write down this verse, Hebrews 12.1. It says, put away, put away every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and run with endurance the race which is set before us. The main problem with sin in our Christian journey is it entangles us. It entangles us. And so it prevents us from running. So what we need to do is apply the blood of Jesus whenever we sense an offense in our conscience, the accusation within, like that verse we sang you know, today, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Praise the Lord for the blood of Jesus. Okay, let's read this next verse here. So y'all got the point, Exodus 12, what the Lord is satisfied with is the blood. Okay, next verse, Revelation 10, 10 through 11, I'll read this. It says, the accuser of our brothers has been cast down, who accuses them before our God day and night, and they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb. So this is talking about Satan, our adversary. His job, Reese, 24-7, you know what his job is? Accusing you. That's horrible. That's horrible. He's trying to shut down your journey by daily, moment-by-moment accusation. That's his job description. If Satan came up to you and pulled out his business card, it would say, accuser of the brothers. That's what he does. And so we need some way to combat that if we want to make progress in our Christian life, and that is the blood. Through the blood, we overcome all the accusations of Satan against us. Okay, I'm going to speed up here. Okay, next step is Hebrews 10, 19. Let's read this one all together. Ready, set, go. Okay, so the word you want to underline here is boldness. The blood gives you boldness. We can be bold to make progress in our journey every day, not because of our current successes, not because we've been doing good last week, but because of the blood of Jesus. Okay, so... Step one is saved by applying the blood. Okay, so then, next point, let's read this all together, the the, uh, next point. Strengthened by keeping the feast. Okay, the interesting thing is, and Trevor Walker pointed this out last semester, if you all were with us, in his message on the Passover, I think it was, you were talking about the Passover. And the, the chapter on the Passover is Exodus 12. And it's, I mean, it's a famous chapter, a famous chapter in the Old Testament. It's the history where God's people were, passed over from their sins. And so normally what we think of is the blood, right? Normally that's what we think of with the Passover. What's the lamb for? What's the lamb of God for, right? We normally think for shedding his blood, right? But Tewak pointed out something very interesting about Exodus 12. The blood is only mentioned in four verses. Four verses. And the matter of eating the lamb, who is Christ, is mentioned in 18 verses. 18 verses. So God has a, uh, a eating focus. Even when he's talking about sin, he and the world and our redemption, our salvation, our deliverance, he stresses eating. Isn't that so striking? Only four verses on the blood, 18 verses on eating the lamb. And so in our concept, we need a revolution. I don't need just to apply the blood. I need to eat the lamb. Because if all you do is apply the blood, guess where you're going to stay? You're going to stay in Egypt. You won't have the power to get out of Egypt. So God gave us the blood to deal with his judgment, to release us. But God gave us the meat of the lamb, the flesh of Christ, to eat, 
to empower us, to strengthen us, to walk out of Egypt. No one gets out of Egypt without eating the lamb. So don't have a meatless Passover. Don't have a meatless Passover. Every time you take the blood, you should be reminded, Lord, I take the blood and now I need to eat you to be strengthened, to be supplied, to be energized so that I'm empowered to get out of this world system. Amen? Isn't that awesome? Okay, so Exodus 12, 8 through 11, it says, They shall eat the flesh in that night. That's the night you applied the blood. Every time you apply the blood, you should think, I need to eat the lamb right now. I don't need to wait. Waiting doesn't improve the power of the blood. As soon as you take the blood... Get back to the main purpose of your Christian life, which is eating Jesus, being supplied, being strengthened, being energized to move out of Egypt. If you don't eat, you're going to stay stuck in that same sin. What makes you overcome? Yes, the verse says we overcome by the blood. That's overcoming the accusation. But what's, what gets us out, what gets us out from under that rulership is eating the lamb to be strengthened. So, You know, the worst thing in the Christian life is to know what to do, but to not have the power to do it. That's the worst thing in the Christian life. To know what to do, or to know what not to do, but you're powerless. You're powerless. And that was Paul's exact dilemma in Romans 7. He says, I hate what I hate, I do. What I hate, I do. Worst point in the Christian life, Romans 7. The way we get out of that, way we get out of that cycle of, uh, not being, you know, freed is by eating Jesus. Let's all say that. Eating Jesus. And we've even got an awesome song that says, Eat, Hallelujah, eating Jesus is the way. Hope you learn it one day. Okay, this is so awesome. In verse 9, let's read verse, just verse 9 right there in Exodus 12. Y'all see that? It's head. Ready, set, go. Okay. It's really interesting. The Bible gives us the details of which parts of the lamb to eat. You think it's symbolic? You think it's important? Or you think it's totally random? Yeah, important and symbolic. Exactly right. Not random. Okay, the Bible tells us you need to eat the legs of the lamb. What are legs for? Walking. Starting to come together, huh? Your walking strength comes from eating Christ. And you need to eat the lamb. His legs. So you have the power to walk the Christian life. Okay, look at verse 11. This is also awesome. He says, this is how you should eat it. Lord gives us his table manners. You know, my mom was super, like, do not have your elbows on the table. I don't even know why that's a rule. But, like, she always told me, elbows off the table. And there's, anyways, but I had very formal dinners growing up. Six o'clock, dinner's a family time. You know, can't leave unless I say, may I please be excused, all that. So, anyways, God's similar. He has some table manners. He expects. This is how you should eat the lamb. And he doesn't say with fine china and, you know, perfect place settings and, you know, elbows off the table. No, he says, get your staff. Get your loins girded. Get your sandals on your feet and get your staff in your hand. And you should eat it in haste. Forget what the dietitians tell you about eating, you know, chewing like, what is it, chewing 40 times or something? No, don't do that. Swallow it down, get up, use the staff, use the sandals, gird your loins, and get out of here. We're getting out of here tonight. And tonight, if some of y'all, we're going to especially look at this last point, if some of you guys haven't been baptized, some of you guys haven't been baptized, tonight is your night to get out. 
tonight is your night to get out. Because this whole journey cannot be possible if you're stuck in Egypt. You're in the wrong realm. You're in the wrong realm. And some Christians I've talked to, um, and this is, I mean, this is not to blame people, but our culture of Christianity has separated, has put a multi-year separation between two fundamental experiences that the Bible always puts together. Believe, step one. Be baptized, step two. Believe, be baptized. Two steps of one complete exit. And in the Exodus picture, those go together. You eat the blood. I mean, you take the blood. You eat the lamb. That night, you leave. You don't stick around and say, well, I don't know if I have strong enough faith to make a profession of faith. I don't know if I know enough about baptism. I don't know if I know about the Red Sea. I don't know what the temperature is. You know, I'm still struggling with some loves for the world. No, just go into the water. And we're going to see that this is God's salvation to you for your Christian journey to begin. We need a fundamental break with the world. And that's what baptism does. Amen? Amen. Okay, but we're still on eating the feast here, eating the lamb. Okay, but the point is the blood and the eating are looking towards your baptism. That's how you get out of the world, by, by being baptized. And so here the Lord tells us, when you eat the lamb, you need to eat it with your staff in your hand because you're being strengthened to go on a journey. Okay, so, so awesome. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8, our, pa- our Passover, Christ also has been sacrificed. So then let us keep the feast. All right, let's go on to the last section here. Let's read this all together. Ready, set, go. Okay, the big problem with, Exodus, uh, with Egypt, Egypt typifies the world. And there's n- numerous passages in the uh, New Testament that can show us that. Um, and we probably don't realize this, but in God's eyes, um, what do you think is worse in God's eyes? Sin or the world? Of course, I mean, you know, you probably know which direction this message is going, so you can make a you know, pretty logical guess. But if I were to ask you before tonight, what do you think is worse, sin or the world? I think everybody would say sin, right? I mean, we are very sin-conscious Christians, but in God's eyes, the world is worse. I'll tell you why. The world is worse in God's eyes. Sin um, contaminates you, corrupts you, defiles you, but the world enslaves you. The world owns you. Sin doesn't own you. Sin defiles you, it separates your fellowship, it hinders your fellowship with God. But the world is a system. That's, what, that's the, the Greek word for world in the New Testament is cosmos. Um, but it, it, it refers to an orderly system designed in ornamentation. And so it's, actually sometimes it's used for the word jewelry because it's an ornament, an ornament, an, an arrangement that looks good to enslave you, to keep you somewhere. And Satan's goal is to keep God's people in Egypt. And the only way to get out of Egypt, the only way to get out of the world, is by being baptized. That's what Exodus shows us. And so, um, we not only need forgiveness for our sins, but we need deliverance from the world. We need deliverance from the world. And again, tonight uh, and this weekend, we're going to have some opportunities to be baptized um, so, you know, if you're thinking about that, I want you to be pray- prayerfully listening to this last section, and um, hopefully the Lord can speak to you. Okay, how about let's alternate on Exodus 14. Uh, let's just alternate verses starting with the brothers, 
uh, and then sisters on 13 and so on. All right, brothers, ready, set, go. Pharaoh pursued... Let's read 27 together, all together with a triumphant spirit. And Jehovah cast the Egyptians off in the midst of the sea. So I love this. This is the picture. They strike the blood. They eat the lamb. They're inspired. They take the Lord's word. They start marching out of Egypt. You think Satan's happy? You think Pharaoh's happy? Thanks for being here for the last 430 years. Love the pyramids. No. He was like, what were we thinking? What were we thinking? And they get up, and it says he, he arms his chariots with his best men, the captains. It says every chariot. And they start pursuing Israel to overtake them. And so I love this thing. This, this is Pharaoh's last struggle. And when people are about to be baptized, Satan rises up in their mind with their logic. Oh, you don't know enough about being baptized. Oh, you're not serious enough yet. Oh, you need to wait a little bit longer. Oh, you need to wait till your mom's in town. Oh, you need to wait till an ordained priest in town. None of those things are given as reasons not to be baptized in the Bible. But Satan lures you either with concepts, I don't know enough, I need a class, I need to wait. Or with concepts of, yeah, I'm doing fine in my Christian life. Do I really need to be baptized? Um, or environmental circumstances. You know, you're going to go get baptized and something comes up, you know, midterm, something in the family, sickness, and then you delay but the point is you have to see through the physical environment and see the warfare that's going on. Satan is struggling to keep you in the world, in his kingdom. And God's purpose is to bring in another kingdom. So if you want to be part of that, you need to get out by being baptized. And so Pharaoh, uh, the chariots come up, and they start coming after them. And the people are scared. And I love what the Lord says uh, through Moses. He says, do not be afraid, stand firm, and see the salvation of Jehovah. See the salvation of Jehovah. And then he says, Jehovah will fight for you. Why do you cry out to me? The Lord's saying, stop praying. Stop praying. Isn't that interesting? Don't cry out to me. Just get in the water. Move forward. And the reason is the Lord has already prepared a salvation for you. It's waiting for you. The Lord has the water there for you. The Red Sea was designed by God in creation to be right there at that time when God's people needed to be delivered from the entire Egyptian army. And so what happens, you all know the story. Uh, the people go into the water. God spreads it open. Pharaoh chases in with all his army. And then 27, Jehovah cast the Egyptians off in the midst of the sea. So when you're baptized, when you're baptized, your whole world, with everything related to you, with every, uh, with every hook that Satan has in you, with every entanglement this world has upon you, it all goes into the water with you, and you only come out. All those attachments, all that army, 
all those forces that have been bothering you, that have been enslaving you, they stay in the water. The Lord casts off the Egyptian army in the waters of baptism. So again, if you haven't been baptized, tomorrow, I don't know, tonight we may have an opportunity, uh, but for sure tomorrow we're going to have an opportunity. And if you haven't started your Christian journey, which means if you haven't been baptized, then hopefully this weekend you get out. You have your exodus and start your Christian journey. Okay, let's finish by reading uh, 1 Corinthians 10.2, all the sisters. Ready, set, go. And then brothers on Acts 2, 40 through 41, ready, set, go. Okay, so the last two things I want to I point out in these two verses is, 1 Corinthians, all were baptized. All were baptized. So if you haven't been baptized, you're not on this journey with us yet. You're not on this journey. You may have taken the blood of the Lamb. You may be redeemed. You may be saved from God's judgment. But if you're still in, if you're still in Egypt trying to do a community service, if you're still in Egypt trying to do some good deeds so people can know Jehovah, guess what? That's not God's plan. That's not the destination. The destination is the good land. So all the people, all of God's people need to be baptized to get out of that world system. Acts 2.20, uh, 2.40-41 strengthens this. Peter said, be saved from the generation. How are you going to do that? Those who received his word were baptized. Okay, last, last point I want to make, guys, is, um, and, and we'll be done after this. So I was talking to Clinton. I don't know if he's still here, but um, he's a welder. He's a professional welder. I studied structural engineering, so I know a little bit about um, metals and uh, strength of uh, you know, steel beams and stuff. But I read this example. It was really, really cool. And um, it says, you know, when, you're, um, when blacksmiths are heating up metal, do you know why they heat it up to work on it? Yeah, so it gets soft. The reason it gets soft is because actually the chemical structure, the crystalline structure of steel made out of carbon actually changes at a certain temperature, changes at a certain temperature. And that's why it's malleable. I mean, it's very, you know, microscopic chemical level here. But uh, when people get saved, the Lord warms them up. They're malleable. They have a change. They have repentance. Okay. The next thing the blacksmith does, once he gets it to, the, to 1,600 degrees, I think it is Fahrenheit, once he gets it hot and it's malleable and he shapes it, you know what the next thing he does is? He plunges it. He plunges it. And I love this illustration because it shows you as soon as you get hot for the Lord and as soon as your faith is on fire, and the Lord regenerates you. The next thing he needs to do is to plunge you in the waters of baptism. And what that does with the steel is it changes the nature of the steel. If you let that one, you know, if you, if you have two axes, one's hot, you know, one's, both are hot, you plunge one, you don't plunge the other. After an hour, they look exactly the same. After an hour, like, they look exactly the same. But the crystalline structure of the one that's been plunged is radically different. It's a different metal. It's, it's called tempered steel. It's hardened. It's sharper. It's more durable. And so that shows with us, the other one is still malleable. The other one can be shaped. It can bend. And what that says is, uh, if we don't get plunged into the waters of baptism, we may look outwardly the same, but internally we're a different kind of Christian. The world can still shape us. 
Satan can still mold us. We can still be bent to his purposes. But once, we're, once our heart is fired with faith in the gospel, we need to be plunged into the water of baptism, and that seals the strength for our Christian life. We're different at our core. We're different at our core. Okay, so we'll stop here. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and then um, we'll turn it over to the brother and see what's next. Okay. Lord, we love you so much. Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord, in Exodus. Lord, and we thank you so much that you have provided a way of deliverance, Lord. Lord, we pray that, um, Lord, as we strike the blood and as we eat the lamb, Lord, we would not neglect, Lord, the, the baptism you provide for us, Lord, the way out of this world. Lord, we pray for anyone here tonight, Lord, who you're stirring in their heart. Lord, you're speaking to them through this word, Lord. You would cause them to rise up and respond to your word, Lord, go into that water and be baptized. Lord, we just give you the rest of this weekend, Lord, tonight and tomorrow. Pray you'd be with us, you'd share with us, you'd build us together in your life, and you'd take us on to your destination this entire semester. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.